0: Hello, this is
1: the Red Box Podcast and the Times. I'm Matt Jorley, bringing you the best of my Times radio show, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. You can listen online or using the free Times radio app as well as on your DAB radio. Now then, it's that time of the month where we convene our focus group. James Johnson, former pollster for uh, Theresa May in number 10, is back. We've been speaking to eight members of the public about how they view the coronavirus restrictions. Now, uh, it's time for the Times Radio focus group. Uh, We've uh, been doing this every month since Times Radio launched, where we try to get to know what people are thinking across the country about politics and politicians and their policies. Uh, there's been a lot of polls in recent week suggesting that people by and large just want more and more uh, lockdown rules to halt the spread of coronavirus. But James uh, has found that uh, that doesn't necessarily ring true with what he'd been picking up in lots of focus groups. So what, what before we listen to what came up in our focus group, uh, just explain to us again, James, what's the value of focus groups? How do you go about finding people to take part in it?
2: Yep, so we've got eight people um, and they're recruited to be Uh, broadly representative of English swing voters. So they're people who uh, voted Conservative or Labour last time round, uh, evenly split, and they're now undecided about how they'd vote. Now, the idea behind focus groups isn't to to sort of, you know, replace a poll. So, you know, focus groups aren't there to tell you exactly what the British public are thinking, but they do allow you to see the nuances and understand what's happening underneath the polls. And often, most of the time, they reinforce what you're seeing in those top line numbers. In this case, and in the focus groups I've been doing recently, and our one today, you actually sort of uncovers a bit of a hidden truth behind under, under some of these headline figures where people are saying, you know, they're very supportive of more restrictions or, you know, they're going to obey, you know, 90% of people are going to obey them. Um, so, yeah, they allow you to see that flip side, um, which is obviously, you know, very valuable in the current situation.
1: So, in uh, this month's Times Radio focus group, carried out with the help of CNC, there's eight people uh, spread across Birmingham. Liverpool and London, so yep. you get a sort of slight mix of the different rules and restrictions uh, that are in place there. So you kicked off by asking them, just how do they feel about the current rules?
3: The rules are confusing, but necessary to get over this.
4: Again, confusing, unenforceable unless they want to, and will not. Um, people won't take any notice of them. They won't. They, they won't. They won't do it.
5: It's killing more people with cancer. 450 people died today with cancer. Coronavirus is 40th on the list. So heart conditions, strokes and everything, they're all dying. So we're saving the coronavirus, but the rest of the population is dying through diseases that we can control.
6: Uh, I'd say um, it doesn't really. The, the the rules don't really add up to this, to, to the statistics.
7: Um, I'd just say the rules don't make sense.
8: Um, I feel really conflicted and sometimes confused. I think
9: that they're very patronising
1: and unjust.
10: Um, I would say the rules are confusing, and I don't feel that people in government would stick to them.
1: So James. Overriding sense there is the word confusing. Yes, and that's the real thing that comes out of this. There are a couple of voices
2: in there, um, you know, sort of saying rules are unjust, or you know, talking about you know the sort of uh, uh, how how dangerous coronavirus. Uh, Is But the overwhelming um, uh, sort of message we we get out of these focus groups is this sort of lack of clarity, Um, this feeling that uh, they don't know exactly what the rules are, Um, rules at different local levels clearly hasn't cut through. We also saw throughout people using different terms interchangeably. So, you know, I think some people were referring to uh, support bubble as if that was rule of six and vice versa. Um, So, you know, some of those terms are also getting confused. And also people also saying they don't know where to find the rules. Um, And a couple of people said that they were tuning out of the news, that they hadn't watched the news, quite as much and so you're really seeing that come through as
1: well in fact uh, let's listen to uh, this was a mirror
6: i'm i'm just going by assumption i've stopped watching the news and yesterday i only found out we were going to lockdown because my mum called me um otherwise quite similar to what paul said i, w- I wouldn't have even paid attention to it because i don't really tend to watch the news
1: anymore And we've got some, we can all have some sympathy with that. We're all a bit sick of just constantly hearing about coronavirus. At the height of the crisis back in uh, March, April, everyone was gripped by it. Huge viewing figures for those daily press conferences. They don't happen anymore. And if you just think, oh, I've heard enough of this, you tune out. But then the trouble is you're not going to know the news if you're not yeah, listening to it.
2: Yeah, and this is a huge problem from a government public health perspective, right, because, you know, the threat hasn't gone away, um, and uh, you know clearly, you know, people are not paying as much attention. It's quite interesting throughout that focus group, there's an increasing sense um, of perhaps whether, you know, people are viewing coronavirus as a slight, slightly differently, slightly less, uh, you know, prevalent as they were back in March and April. It's almost become, for some of them, more of a kind of political issue. You kind of feel like it's in the background for them, they're getting on with their lives, and then this thing pops up. It's less all-pervasive in their lives, and that obviously has huge ramifications. Another chap on there, you know, said that, um, you know, he doesn't watch the news as much now about coronavirus because of his mental health, you know, we're also seeing those things coming through. So uh, another chap saying, you know, we need tannoys, you know, we need somebody out on on a van, you know, telling us what the rules are, putting things through our letterbox. So a real thing about how the government gets its information across, as well as exactly what that message
1: is. Uh, one thing I want to discuss with you before we get on to uh, whether the rules will work and whether they're going to follow them it was earlier on when I played some clips uh, from the, the focus group. We got a message in from Matthew in Leicestershire. He said uh, how profoundly irresponsible to broadcast people saying they're not going to follow the uh, COVID rules, apparently without challenge. I mean, what's the value for us of listening to this other than just a lot of people saying they're not going to follow the rules?
2: Well, I think this is a, a bit of a wake up call that, um, you know, if you just looked at those top line polls, um, you know, the results are very similar to what it was in March and April. You know, people think the rules haven't gone far enough. They support more lockdown. It's quite easy to take away from that, well, okay, everything's fine then. The public are going to back these and we just need to carry on as we are. Actually, what this shows and what other focus groups we've, we've done show is that actually, you know, underneath there is a lot less compliance. Um, there is a lot more fatigue. There is a lot more frustration. There is a lot less clarity. Um, and therefore, you know, the message is, you know, more clearly needs
1: to be done to get that message across. And one of the things that kept coming up was the reason they they perhaps and we'll come on to whether or not they're going to follow the rules, but they, they they're, they're not convinced they're going to work. Let's take a listen. No. Why is that poor? <clears throat> because it's
9: spreading anyway, and the virus doesn't have a time limit, it doesn't have a, a race limit, it doesn't have any gender nothing, it's got no limit at all. They think that the virus will go away at 10 o'clock when the pub's shut, no. It'll be amongst the crowds that are getting wasted in the streets afterwards. So I think it's a phallus thing to actually try and implement. And I think it's a waste of police and resources to try and implement them things. I think it's always going to break out again. I don't
5: think you're going to be able to suppress You can suppress it for a while, but it'll break out again.
8: You know, we tried lockdown and, you know, for a while all the figures went right down. But obviously when we're going to have to get back to some sort of normality again now for the second time, surely, you know, how's it going to be any different? I'm not sure locking down to the extent we have is is something that's going to work.
1: So they just don't have faith in in the rules working this time, man. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of things going on there. There's a specific,
2: specific frustration about things like the 10 p.m. curfew. You heard the reference there to you know people all going out on the streets afterwards. I mean, you know, those videos have clearly been going viral. There's something wider though. There's something I didn't expect to hear, which is um, again just you know in the commentariat world is just sort of you know just not not really picked up on. But there is this increasing sense amongst the public that. Well, the first lockdown didn't work, and obviously we look back and think, well, clearly, you know, clearly it did. But there's this increasing view that actually, you know, the first one didn't really work because the virus has come back. So, uh, you know, why would that work again? The other thing is that there's an increasing prevalence, again, you know, almost not on the radar at all in March and April, um, of a tendency towards sort of conspiracy theory. A few people said, um, you know, if the rules aren't working, then why have we got them? Is this not, you know, something else? Is there not some wider reason for this? And you know, when that starts to get, it, it, you know, fit into the mix as well and that also dents compliance too.
1: Um, We should point out the the whole reason for us doing this focus group is you used to do these for Number 10 uh, when Theresa May was uh, Prime Minister. Uh, We know this to be a government pretty obsessed with focus groups and polling. So you'd expect them to be getting the same sorts of messages? I think
2: they'll be hearing this. I actually think that one of the reasons they moved to the tiered system was because they were hearing so much about a lack of clarity in in focus groups like this and, you know, feedback from the public. Um, Clearly, however, you know, the tiered system has has not solved those concerns and, if anything, it's caused a bit more complication
1: um, with with these voters. OK, this is the big one then. You went through and asked the whole group if they would follow the current coronavirus rules. No, I won't. I won't
6: follow them
1: Tell, tell me more, Mira. tell me more. What kind of rules do you I won't you
6: be following. Um, I'll still be seeing my family if my family want to see me. My partner's got family. We've got like childcare where m- where both grandparents take care. Um, I mean, I won't be really seeing my friends, I guess, uh, to, to some point. It's mainly family that I will be seeing. I'm very close to them and I didn't see them for like six months at lockdown. I'm mm-hmm. not doing it again.
5: We followed the rules initially because we didn't really know and we thought, right, we're going to get rid of this virus, we'll follow the rules. It hasn't got rid of the virus, we've gone through all that pain of the lockdown. Now they want us to face another lockdown. The general sense of opinion is we know it's not going to work because it's always going to break out. So I think that's why the second lockdown won't work. Personally, I do wear a mask when I go out because the government's asked me to and I suppose I should protect myself. But other than that, I'll just carry on.
7: I'm pretty much the same. I will I'll, I'll wear a mask when I go out because that you know, helps myself and others. But I, shall still see, I will still see my family because my parents are elderly, so you know, I'm not going to not see them. I had a few months not seeing them earlier in the year and I'm not going to do that again. Yeah, it'd just be like the mask side of it, really. I'll, I'll follow right. that, but everything else, I'll, I'm just going to act normal now because I don't think I c- Mentally, I don't think I can go through it all again of not seeing my family and that sort of thing. So I think you've got to think of yourself as well and your own mental wellbeing.
9: Well, to be fair, I wear my face mask when I go out. Um, and I just think at the end of the day, it's down to common sense, but it's not so much what I'm doing, it's what other people are doing. When you're trying to select your groceries in the stores and you're leaning over you find that there's three or four other people behind you trying to reach for the same thing and you think well where's your social distancing? It's not necessarily what I'm doing it's what other people are doing.
10: Um, Yeah to be honest as most people have said I would break it for to see family and to go to like family's houses and things but I wouldn't really go to pubs, restaurants. I don't really see like the need for that because obviously I might be, you know, like there's a chance that you could spread it there. Obviously you could spread it everywhere, but I'm just saying like for me, um, for my mental health, I wouldn't not see my family.
3: No, not really. Um, I think I've came to conclusion that I need to follow certain ones because they make sense. I'll be sensible in certain areas when I need to be. So I took the decision, right, I'm going to see my partner in her house and she can come to my house, but I'm not going anywhere else. I work here, I live here, I, I'm not going anywhere else. So to me, that's that's enough rule. I'll wear a mask when I need to. I'll do all the other minor things that can help. Um, avoiding people helps, there we go, just avoid each other for a bit. Uh, if you need to see people, see them, they're your family, they're your loved ones. If you don't need to see them, you just pop around for the sake of it. Don't.
1: So that was the full uh, panel on whether or not they would follow the rules. The overwhelming sense, James, is the, this sort of pick-and-mix uh, approach to the rules. Uh, that I'm, you know, of course I'm not going to uh, go without seeing my family or my girlfriend or whatever it might be. So I've come up with my own, my own sort of selection. I'll wear my, I wear, thought it was interesting, I'll wear my mask if the government's asked me to, but I'm not going to do anything else the government's asked me to. This is really difficult for the government, isn't it? That now people have just decided, you know, to, to their own sort of pick and mix approach. How, how can you get back from that?
2: it's hugely difficult. And I think it's just really worth stressing that, you know, this is one focus group, but this is something that I've heard consistently over a number of focus groups over the last few weeks. Um, you know, this is something that comes through again and again, and it is extraordinary. You know, it's not, it's not a complete breakdown of obedience. Um, you know, people, as you say, you know, they sort of, there's almost, you know there's a a slightly performative element to it, right? Because people sort of say, you know, I'm not doing anything. Then they actually list what they are doing. So you're right. It's not complete disobedience, but it is, it is pick and mix. Um it's very difficult to, to overcome. I think that the key thing that really shines through there is that people do, these are not people who were breaking the rules in March and April. Um, they talk about how they were, uh, you know, they didn't see their family for a long time, that chap saying he didn't see his girlfriend for the whole six months, the whole three or four months, um, another person not seeing their, their elderly relatives. There's a fatigue element to this, but there's also a social stigma element to this. You know, you could not dream of somebody saying that in a focus group in March and April. You remember, these people can see each other on screen, right? You know, their, their, their names are on the screen. They know they're being recorded and they're, and, and they're saying this, this kind of thing out loud. So that social stigma has gone down. I expect there's a little bit less fear of the virus uh, amongst, these, amongst these people as well. So, yeah, it, it's pretty hard to do anything but you know, sit back after that clip and just think this is going to be a very difficult bunch of people um, to you know, persuade to be compliant with the rules in, in the next few weeks and months.
1: That social stigma thing, I think, is really interesting. If if you'd done the same focus group and asked them, you know, do you drink drive, if one of them had said yes, everyone else would have, you know, piled in, you'd have expected. But that that just didn't happen there. Um, The other thing, I suppose the other thing that we should stress, and going back to this point that, you know, we're not being irresponsible, we're just telling you this is what people's approach is. They are following some of the rules, and actually, the government might listen to this and think, well, if everyone did what this group was doing, if they did wear their masks, they kept their social contact down to a minimum, Actually, that would be basically quite good for the uh, f- controlling the virus
2: yeah no there may well be a bit of that I think you know the other thing to stress is that you know this is a mix of ages as well um you know we haven't just gone to you know young people in london um I think a lot of people have been hearing stuff like this anecdotally um but actually you know this was across ages across social graves across you know parts of the country so yeah no certainly a a, a real uh, a real level of um, a real lack of compliance as I say that i don't think we're on course for mass disobedience. there is more of a sense of resignation and the interesting thing is, is that detectable sort of underneath all of this was this idea that actually maybe there is permission for a national lockdown with quite a lot of enforcement measures. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to play the clip, but at one point, you know, somebody said, well, actually, I'd much rather they got quite authoritarian and, you know, started bringing in fines and arresting people and so on and so forth. So, you know, there is, underneath all of this, you know, there is a frustration with local rules, there is a frustration with a confusion and rules applying to different places and different people. Um, You know, so what we're not saying here is that, you know, there could never be permission for a national lockdown down they almost want
1: that clarity Uh, exactly right But let's listen to that then so you asked me what should we be doing instead you'll hear first of all from angela and then howard's quite authoritarian suggestions
7: personally I think we just need to like get on with it now and like other people have said just be sensible and don't get mixed with big crowds and you know they can still keep numbers down in different places like they have been and reduce how many people they have inside it a restaurant or a pub or a shopping centre or whatever, like they're doing already. But I think we just need to sort of get back to normal as much as we can there. And
10: I personally would say that there should be a lockdown with very harsh penalties, so like, like not even like the first lockdown. The penalties should be very, very high and potentially like an authoritarian state. I know that's like awful because England is not like that, but I think if that was only there for a short time, then eventually that then that could potentially um, remove the virus and then everyone can live like you know normal live like you know how everyone wants to well
1: that was, uh, that was all, uh, Howard there was setting out is um, authoritarian approach to us then getting back to, to living uh, normally. Let's dig into some of why there's been this sort of erosion in trust in the rules and some of the reasons why people think, well, I, you know, why should I follow all the rules when, when other people aren't, this whole one rule for one and one rule for other. Inevitably, uh, one name just keeps uh, coming up in Dominic Cummings, but there are other reasons as well. No.
7: Not,
9: not when you hear that the House is a Commons, that the pub that's in the House mm-hmm. of Commons... Has no restrictions, mm-hmm. social distancing going on in the House of Commons. Why don't they shut their pub at ten o'clock? Why don't they all come on camera and speak with the face masks and set examples? Even the Queen doesn't wear a face mask. So at the end of the day, if she's not going to wear one, she's not setting the example to the general public. I think well, if she ain't going to
8: wear one, I ain't going to bother. Uh, Dominic Cummings is a big one, you know everything that he was allowed to do and then giving the man primetime TV to explain it all away was just absolutely disgusting. You've got Matt Hancock in the House of Commons putting his arm around fellow MPs until you can see someone's told him, you know, stand two meters away and he's edging away because the cameras are on him. And um,
6: I was just gonna say people have lost trust in the government um, and um, they're, they're just not taking them serious anymore in some ways it's kind of taken away your human rights because you've you're basically being told to do certain things and comply with certain instructions um, and and even if you don't if you don't follow them you can get fined or you know it's just you're, be, you're being forced to do something that not everyone wants to do or not everyone feels comfortable doing.
3: No not really um, I think I've came to conclusion that you need to follow certain ones because they make sense. I'll be sensible in certain areas when I need to be. So I took the decision, right, I'm going to see my partner in her house and she can come to my house, but I'm not going anywhere else. I work here, I live here, I, I'm not going anywhere else. So to me, that's that's enough rule. I'll wear a mask when I need to. I'll do all the other minor things that can help. Um Avoiding people helps. There we go, just avoid each other for a bit. Uh, if you need to see people, see them, they're your family, they're your loved ones. If you don't need to see them, you just pop around for the sake of it.
1: Don't. So there's quite quite a smorgasbord there. You had uh, Dominic Cummings, Matt Hancock. I mean, so we should point out there was a clip... A few weeks ago, now, if Matt Hancock putting his hand around an MP, the shoulders of an MP, obviously went viral online. That sort of stuff is getting cut through. It is getting cut through. I mean, you
2: know, we know that people are taking this describing there this more sort of common sense approach. We've already covered, you know, the reasons for that. You know, part of clarity. You know, part of that fatigue. Feelings first lockdown didn't work. But what you really see coming through in those clips is this connection between compliance and public trust in government. And it was really, really quite, uh, you know, shocking in that in, in that focus group, just how much of a sort of you know one rule for them, one rule for us vibe there was they talked about Dominic Cummings as you've heard uh, they talked about uh, the um, uh, Margaret Ferrier they talked about Matt Hancock um, these sort of you know viral clips and sense online I mean it's worth recapping that you know back in June I did a focus group and you know more people knew who Dominic Cummings was than Keir Starmer so you know that has not gone away you know people are still bringing up his name people are still talking about that
1: well let's hear again from Paul Paul is one of, one of the standout stars of this focus group I have to say he's great for a soundbite this is Paul on uh, Dominic Cummings and Margaret Ferrier no,
9: because when you when you think about it, I mean, you have got MPs and like Dominic women and so on having a jolly about, and then they expect us to follow, you know. And you think, well, we're quick enough to slap fines on us, but apparently the woman who went from Scotland to London and back, she's not going to be prosecuted because she tested pirate, a uh, uh, test tested positive prior to her travelling, and you think, well. There's some cop out, and you think at the end of the day she's got the virus, irrespective of when she had it, but she travelled all
1: that way. So That was Paul. That's all that stuff is getting cut through. And uh, uh, after the half eleven news, we will um, dip into the actual politics and how people have been seeing Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer uh, uh, and and the politics of all of that. A couple of other things on the sort of the health side that I wanted to sort of uh, dig into and share with you. Um, Brian, uh, one of the members on the focus group, uh, he'd obviously been reading into a lot of the statistics on uh, coronavirus death rates and that sort of thing. This is what he had to say about it.
5: There was was an article in the mail last week. It said the average age of a COVID person dying is 82.5 years. The average life expectancy is 81 years in this country. So who are we actually protecting? Are we protecting people over 82 and a half years old? I'd like to see the stats on that. And people like Stephanie that have survived it, there's a good chance I'd survive it at 68. So I, don't, I, don't, I just don't get that part of the stats, and I'd like to see the stats. <laughs>
1: So that was. This is the slight problem, isn't it? And we should point out. I think Brian was like in his sixties or something. He's not. You know, it's not these like a teenager saying let let rip through uh, older people. Um, just before we um, have the the news at half eleven, let's also take a listen to what they had to say about the prospect of a vaccine and whether or not they'd be willing to have a coronavirus vaccine.
6: I'm not. I, I'm not a big. Um, I don't really believe in vaccines. I haven't vaccinated my child, and I wouldn't be vaccinating definitely not any sort of flu jab or any COVID vaccination?
7: No, I'm the same. I I wouldn't have it done. I I don't believe in vaccines anyway, so uh, pretty much the same as I mean.
9: If they brought out a vaccine, it's not been trialled and tested like any other normal sort of um, flu injections or, you know, TB or anything like that. What happens if they bring one out, everyone swarms to it, and again, we all have it, 50 million people or whatever have it. And then in five years' time, we've all developed some side on it and we're all suing the government because we were forced to
3: have it. If it's okay. tested and proven over a long time, I'd be more inclined to, yes.
5: So I've had the flu jab. I've had no side issues with that from recently. Um, and I think if something's there to protect you, I think you should... Take it on board because it it will be thoroughly tested. I mean they're not just gonna buy it off the shelf for ASDA, are they?
4: Yeah, I mean I, I will take the vaccine because they can never ever risk in you know, damaging the whole of the population of the world really, because it would be a worldwide vaccine.
1: James Johnson, I'm not sure we managed to clear the sort of 60% take-up rate of the vaccine that the government needs uh, in order for it to be effective. This is, I mean, in terms of uh, this is quite worrying from a sort of health, public health perspective that this idea is taking hold of not trusting, not believing in vaccines like it's sort of the tooth fairy.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we do again have to look at the polls here. You know, it suggests that UK take-up is going to be quite a bit higher, actually, than, than some other countries. Um, but obviously it is a worry again. I mean, there was a bit of uh, balance in that focus group. You know, people certainly did say that they... Uh, Uh, you know, would take it. Others others obviously said they wouldn't. I think the key thing is what messages will work. And that's the really important thing for selling a vaccine, I think. You know, it will be in relation to making sure that it's properly tried and tested. Uh, Other polling I've done, you know, suggests that actually making sure it gets World Health Organisation backing is really important in the UK. So, yeah, messages matter. But it does just show that, you know, under the surface of those polls... You know, and at, at, you know, at risk of, you know, sort of depressing too many listeners, you know, we are in a, a difficult situation. Um, and, you know, people are not going to flock just to this vaccine overnight. They want reassurance.
1: You can get more of the latest political news with a subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and get one month free. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box. On the subject of
0: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
1: Vaccines and freedom and all that sort of thing. Somebody's uh, texted in saying, are you sure this focus group is representative? Seems a bit Daily Mail slash anti-vax. Are we freedom? Does it infringe my rights to be instructed by the government to drive on the left side of the road? This question, James, of a focus group can't be representative, can it? Because it's only eight people.
2: It's only eight people. That's why you have polling. What it does allow you to see is the sort of nuance underneath the polls. And I think that if this focus group was saying different things to the other ones I do, then I would probably say, OK, you know, we need to do some more. But this really does echo echo those feelings. And on the anti-vaccine thing, I mean, you know, yep, th- th- three people there were, were pretty critical, but the others were actually saying, well, we should get the vaccine. So there is that balance in there when it comes to vaccination.
1: OK, let's look at the politics of uh, all of this uh, now. What do they make of uh, the party leaders on the previous focus groups? And you can you can listen back to them, actually, all on the um, Times, Radio, uh, Times Red Box podcast. You can listen back to all the monthly focus groups we've done. At the beginning, Boris Johnson, people sort of had a lot of sympathy for him, thought he was doing a good job in difficult circumstances. Uh, let's take a listen to what this focus group thinks about the Prime Minister.
3: The best he can do. But I still think everything's too slow and too all over the place.
4: I think he's doing really well. He's not publicly shown that um, like he's not up for the job. Uh, I'm not saying that he's done everything correctly, but um, he's, he's still there. No, there's not been any mass riots yet. And he hasn't had a breakdown. He hasn't left. So he's holding his own right now.
9: I think to be fair, I think he's done an exceptional job. We shouldn't hold him to a can for the rubbish advice that he's been given
10: um i think he's in a difficult situation and yeah it's been mixed to be honest some things he's done well but other things i feel like his messages weren't clear enough but again he he's listening to advisors so you know you don't know how much his message is.
8: i think you know he is our prime minister the book has to stop with him and it's not been goes enough
7: i think he's, he's done the best he can with what he's got and with you know, the advice he's receiving from other people.
6: I don't think he's done a good enough job, but again, that that's probably down to the advice that he's been given.
5: I think with the advice that he's been given and the resources that he's released, I think he's done quite a good job. What else could he have done?
1: So still reasonably positive about the Prime Minister there, James. James? Um, But interesting, this idea that he—it's now down to the bad advice he's getting.
2: Yeah, I like—I like the benchmark there, by the way—that he hasn't had a breakdown, so he's supposed to be. There haven't been any
1: riots, and he hasn't had a breakdown, and he's still there. (laughs) Indeed,
2: indeed. Um, So, uh, look—I mean, we've been through in in our last few monthly focus groups. You know, as you say at the start, people quite positive. Then it became much more negative in in our focus groups. We've now sort of, as as you say, you know, they're sort of referring more to the advice than the man. And this is something that you do see in regards to politicians. Uh, funnily enough, particularly as they get more unpopular, um, towards the end of uh, my time in Downing Street, um, polling uh, on Theresa May, um, people would increasingly actually say, well, actually... She's, she's doing quite good, but she's just getting bad advice or the MPs are ganging up on her or whatever it might have been. So there is this, you know, sort of strange irony whereby although people on the face of it think Boris Johnson isn't doing that well, actually they're tending to pin that on the advisers. And clearly we've had some very prominent advisers in the news with this government
1: um, rather than Boris Johnson himself. Yeah, maybe we should do a whole focus group on what people think of Chris Whitty uh, now, because maybe maybe that's on the move. Um, if if uh, Labour people are listening to this and getting a bit overexcited, that, you know, people don't think Boris Johnson's done very well, let's take a listen to what happened when you asked for their views on Keir Starmer. I think
6: he's,
5: he's on the political bandwagon.
6: To be honest, I haven't really been following him. Mm.
1: Obviously, he's very new into
4: the job and he opens his mouth and he talks, but he hasn't really challenged the government very much by bringing in alternative suggestions.
6: Uh, to be honest, I don't know much about him. I haven't really listened to him. I get quite a good vibe from him, but I
8: agree he doesn't challenge enough. I think Angela Arena does the better job at doing that.
7: I don't really know much about him, to be honest, because um, I haven't really watched much of the news lately, so I haven't really seen much of him.
10: Yeah, I I don't know too much about him, but I would say he seems like quite a viable opponent. And yeah, he does seem quite a decent man, but I don't know too much.
3: I don't know know much about him at all.
5: I think he's tried to raise conflict in the last week or so where conflict shouldn't really exist. And I think he should just support the Prime Minister with what he's doing.
9: Um, Well, from what I've seen of him, to be fair, it doesn't matter what was said and done, he's going to find... The opposite. So even if Boris Johnson said, I'll give every citizen a million pounds, he'd probably come out and say, I'll give every citizen two million pounds. So he's going to knock the Prime Minister because he's the opposition. So it's immaterial what he says.
1: So not a ringing endorsement for Keir Starmer. We should point out, we did this on Friday night at the end of the week, where Keir Starmer made perhaps his biggest political intervention since he became labor leader calling for a circuit breaker uh lockdown uh, for two or three weeks in england to try and get a uh, handle on the uh on the uh, spread of the coronavirus. Uh, lots of people hailing this as an incredibly brave move. You know, the commentary got very excited about this. He did it on Tuesday night. It sort of dominated PMQs. Everyone, you know, really piling pressure on Boris Johnson. And it turned out, I mean, possibly Brian sort of was aware that he was uh, unhappy about something. But basically, nobody in our group noticed
2: no, and you know there is a there is a bit of a pattern here. You know when when we refer to Keir Starmer that still people aren't really forming an opinion of him. It's residually good, so you know that is something. You know he hasn't sort of you know, Ed Miliband in a lot of those early focus groups. You know in, in the 2010 Parliament, you know really did just sort of bomb straight away. And even if people didn't know who he was, they didn't have particularly good inclination. So he does have a bit of you know sense he's a decent person. But yeah, that announcement hasn't 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 really cut through. What's interesting is that actually the Boris Johnson and the Conservatives' attack lines on Keir Starmer are cutting through in terms of his opposing for opposition's sake, um, or, you know, he shouldn't, you know, sort of oppose on some of these coronavirus-related issues. So, uh, yeah, potentially a bit worrying for Labour there. You know, they're not getting, you know, that sort of cut through with voters that they perhaps hoped for last week.
1: Which way is it, sort of cart before horse, is it that it's the Prime Minister's uh, attack lines on Keir Starmer cutting through, or is it that they are picking up the lines from carrying out focus groups like this to sort of feed you know as a sort of loop back so they carry out focus groups people say oh he's just attacking for people you know attacking sakes so and boris johnson repeats it and then people think oh that's what i think
2: yeah that certainly does happen i remember uh, um with some glee when people when i was doing focus groups uh, for the prime minister you know the next day the prime minister would say something they would said in the speech and i'd be thinking about this person in you know glasgow front room or whatever wondering why on earth what he said yesterday is on is on tv today um but uh, i think what's happening here is that this is something that was very strong Earlier in the pandemic, you know, a real feeling of, you know, you can't criticise, we all need to come together. Keir Starmer and Labour were clearly picking that up in their focus groups because they were very careful near the start. I think Boris Johnson and the Conservatives have sort of hung on to that, sort of thinking, you know, we, we can still use that as a strength. And they've now, you know, kept landing that in a world where actually that may well have disappeared if they hadn't have kept hammering that message. So I think it's a bit of both.
1: Interesting, it's a really interesting question. This, So you asked the group uh, of our eight participants, they were in London, Birmingham, and Liverpool. You asked the group, if they thought Boris Johnson himself would break the coronavirus rules,
5: yeah, yeah, they <laughs> <laughs> <He> banned them.
6: <laughs> yeah, I think I think they all do. I think I think he's probably socialising with his family. His family are probably seeing his newborn baby. His partner's family still probably seeing their newborn baby. Like they're, they're humans. Like it's what what, pe- what what you do with your loved ones. I think they are.
4: But I reckon he walks out the room and shakes hands. Did it, didn't he technically do so already when um, he was taken to hospital from Downing Street and then after his miraculous recovery of only a few days, travelled down to Chequers where his dad went to visit him and his girlfriend who had moved out of Downing Street to South East London, then joined them and then they had the baby and moved back into Downing Street Um, all this whilst everything was supposed to be locked down and nobody's supposed to be mixing with each other. Um, But don't don't they break the rules in the House of Commons, technically, when when they're all sat in there together over meetings and
1: everything. So yeah, that um, recurring theme that nobody, you know, MPs aren't abiding by the rules, so why should I? Uh, as is traditional in our uh, focus groups, uh, James, uh, we always have to um, focus on the man who remains apparently the most uh, popular politician uh, in the country, Rishi Sunak. Let's hear what this uh, group had to say about the Chancellor. He was tipped
9: to be the next prime minister after Boris.
6: I quite like him. Uh, again, I don't know too much about him, but I quite like that when I when I have watched him, I don't feel he's reading off the paper. I feel he's quite intelligent, where he can actually he's actually talking to me. Whereas I feel with Boris is always reading off the paper. It just seems really genuine.
7: Yeah, I'd agree. I think he comes across as being more genuine than a lot of the others do.
3: Yeah, I like the way he talks. But same as before, I don't know enough about these people. He's well-informed, he's
5: well-educated, he's a good communicator, and we do need that at the Mm. moment.
1: It's that old line about once you can fake authenticity, you can do anything you like. You know, he's that whole thing about how he's managed to not sound like he's just reading something off a piece of paper while he's reading something off a piece of paper.
2: Yeah, and I think that word genuine, I think that means a lot more in how people view politicians now than it used to. Um, I think we've certainly moved on from, you know, where it was only competence that mattered. And, you know, people now want this sense of authenticity. You know, he's talking to you, he's levelling with you. It doesn't always have to be a good news, of course. So, you know, I think actually a lot of these sort of you know, theories out there that once Richard Sunak has to start putting up taxes, once he has to make tough decisions he'll get less popular, maybe misplaced because actually I think if he can maintain that authenticity and make it sound like he's levelling with the
1: voters about what they need to do, as long as those measures are done fairly, he may well retain his popularity. And there was quite a long discussion. We haven't been able to, because it went on for sort of an hour and a half, but there's quite a long discussion about the economic uh, um, uh, measures that Rishi Sunak has taken. And they they talked about his lines, that I can't save every job, Uh, and they were quite um, realistic about all of that. However, some negativity about Rishi Sunak has snuck in.
8: When he stood in for Boris, I thought he did a really good job. When he did some of the briefings, I know he's had a bit of bad press at the moment, though, hasn't he, for telling um, artists to retrain, and there's quite a lot of um, uproar about that, which has lost him a bit of of popularity, I think. But up until then, I thought he was doing really well.
3: I'm constantly seeing memes being made about him or people just taking the piss off him, really, because, you know, some people's lives revolve around their they work in performing Arts or whatever it might be. And he said, I'll just go get a job in Asda instead.
9: And he has said all the way through, he can't keep every job. But the fact that he may have said, we'll go and get a job in Asda, is that not being realistic instead of fabricated by saying, well, we'll pump piles of money into endless jobs that are not going to be there this time next year. But When the economy picks up, all the airlines, all the hostesses and all of that, and all these hospitality places, when they open the doors, I want to be recruiting to the employment will drop next year. Who's going to take the credit for all of that?
1: So, I mean, partly it's interesting that people, uh, you know, had picked up on a lot of what Rishi Sunak had said. I mean, this is to do with Fatima, that advert that Fatima is a ballet dancer which is going to retrain in cyber, and and people got very cross about that last week, and Rishi Sunak's suggestion, which the Treasury insisted he didn't quite mean it like that, that that creative people should retrain. I thought what was – the thing that I took away from this whole section on politics – was it, That got cut through. What was a, 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 an online ad and uh, an interview with ITV News, uh, you know, which not that many people will have seen, that's got cut through in a way that the leader of the opposition calling to shut down the whole country for two weeks hadn't at all.
2: Yeah, and I think it just shows now, you know, just how important social media is to getting the message out there. Um, again, these are a range of age- ages, but they're all clearly, you know, getting quite a lot of their news from social media sources and and you know sim- similar sources like that. Uh, so yeah, you know that that is the kind of thing that cuts through. Whereas you know the kind of straightforward, you know, TV clipped, you know, Keir Starmer press conference didn't quite get the same level of cut through. In in, in when we do focus groups, when we do research, we often look at sort of um, things that cut through and things that change the brand of a politician. Now his- is an example here of something that has cut through people have noticed this broadly actually probably on balance negative for rishi sunak but it hasn't altered his brand it hasn't made that step into sort of a brand changing moment so i think you know the the treasury can probably look at this and think well we can we can probably take
1: this Uh, we asked them as well um for their their message to boris johnson and basically across the board they call for clarity if you were in Downing street right now right now and you were listening to this focus group, what would you be advising the Prime Minister?
2: Well, this is is an immensely difficult question because, you know, you've obviously got to balance up the health issues as well. I mean, I would probably be saying, you know, if, if your priority is to, you know, ensure that people are following the rules, then, you know, a rethink may well be needed because clearly at this stage this tiered system is not getting through to people. It's not, you know, it's not sort of you know, creating compliance. Um, it's just going to be very difficult in regards to whether the route is to go down a route of more enforcement, which seems to work better with these voters. The problem then, of course, is the Conservative MPs, who you know, may find it very difficult to support something with more enforcement measures. It's pretty difficult from this focus group not to sort of think, well, you know, Boris Johnson, over the next couple of months into the winter, he's in really a lose-lose situation.
1: That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, you can now listen back to my whole show on the Times radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review at the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye.
0: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at LutonRising.org.uk.
1: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.